This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hello, nerds. This is Satan, and you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Jill and Matt. Welcome to episode 138 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 6th. This Monday, 11-11, is National Metal Day, so that means it's time again to torture sweet, innocent Joe Patrick with the annual THN Metal Show! My name is Matt Baum. I'm back. And you can find me on the Twitter <laughs> under the handle at Matt Baumstein. When I'm not hammering out 130-second notes on my dual bass drums, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for Woodpoint.com! And I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not finger-tapping out face-melting guitar solos... I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of the upcoming hit webcomic series, The Untold Tales of the Two-Headed Nerd, which, until Matt Bomb actually sends me a script, exists only in theoretical space. Episode 1, written. In this week's episode, you will hear our reviews of Amazing X-Men number 1 and Legends of Red Sonia number 1 after that. We'll review 10 of this week's comics faster than Dave Lombardo can grab all 10 of his symbols during the ludicrous speed round, and then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Glenn Danzig and the Son of Satan have the skinny on next week's comics, and we'll answer one lucky listener's burning question when we play Ask a Nerd. But before we storm hell in the backs of our two-headed flying tiger armed only with flaming Gibson flying Vs, let's take a minute to thank the old gods for the gift of thunder and lightning and metal. And then we'll talk about this week's Big News! Big news indeed! Oh my! On Thursday, Marvel announced a partnership with Netflix that will see at least four different live action shows and a miniseries, quote, programming event. Marvel Television and ABC Studios will produce 13 episode series for Daredevil. Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Jessica Jones, with all four shows leading to a Defenders miniseries. Crazy. Each of the shows will take place in or near the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of New York City, a place comic fans know all too well as the home of Daredevil and other street-level heroes. The shows will begin in 2015, but there has been no word yet if they will be presented in similar fashion to other Netflix original programming where all 13 episodes would be available at once. Matt, is this news as awesome as it seems, or is Marvel biting off more than they can chew? I don't know. And here's why I don't know. It seems pretty awesome. I do not love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. We're like five, six episodes deep, and I think I'm done. I don't think I care at all. But like the main complaint is that they don't really do anything in the Marvel Universe. I'll give you that. And like this will be a show about Daredevil. And I got that. What I'm worried is it's going to be this like kitty cute version of these characters that I barely care about. I don't want to see that. Like no. if you're going to do a Netflix show about Daredevil, it better be hard edged, ugly, mean, you know, Daredevil. Well, sure. Luke Cage. I almost said Nick Cage. Nick Cage. <laughs> Luke Cage better be hard as hell. You know, I mean, like if they do it right. Cool. I'm into it. It's great. I'm into it. But I'm a little afraid they are biting off a lot. Here. I'm into it. I'm into it sight unseen. Marvel Studios has earned more than enough leeway. Sure. I do like Agents of Shield. I think it's getting better. It's growing on me. It's a different kind of show. Weak. It's an adventure show. It's, it's an ensemble show. 
I, I have every confidence that Marvel will be able to put together a faithful Daredevil show. That they'll be able to put together a faithful Luke Cage show. And because it's on Netflix, the Jessica Jones show can be full of profanity. Just like her comics But were. I don't think they will. I think no, they gonna, won't. I'm they pretty won't. sure they're going to go for the kiddie thing. And I'm not saying that they need to, but why are you assuming it'll be kiddie? This sounds like street-level gritty. I hope so. I hope it is. But like, I just feel like what they've done with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is so dumbed down. After five episodes, And driven on. towards a younger audience. I don't want to see that with these shows. That's fair. I'm cautiously optimistic. I am I want super excited. And, and now if they're we, bad, I'll be devastated. And we can sit back and start screaming when they start casting these Do you characters. hear that? Do you hear that, Marvel? <laughs> I have given you my whole heart. Don't let me down. Uh, in other Hollywood news, the Hollywood Reporter has revealed that the CW is developing a series based on the DC Comics character, Our Man, who may or may not exist in the new 52. Uh, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm going to say it doesn't exist. The show will feature a quote, Brilliant yet troubled pharmaceutical analyst who discovers that the visions that have plagued him since childhood are actually glimpses of the tragic events occurring one hour in the future. The man will, of course, have no choice but to try and stop these events from happening. The report gave no indication as to whether the series will feature any ties to DC continuity, Rex or Rick Tyler, the Golden Age Arrow Man and his son, or any of the other DC shows the network is developing. Joey. What do you think of this kind of loose adaptation? Is it too much to hope for an appearance by the android Our Man from the 853rd century? Boy, <laughs> wouldn't that be something if Our Man from the 853rd century beats Wonder Woman to the screen? That will be something. Uh, I actually am kind of excited about this. Oh, God. How many times does CW have to let you down? Listen. Not everything on the CDW is terrible. There's one thing they do and well. That yes, one thing. Supernatural. supernatural. Okay, yes. we both agree on that. <laughs> <laughs> but this what gives me hope is that it's not like young 20 something right. whatever. It's like husband and father. Like it sounds like our man. Well, yeah, but if it's completely removed and he's not wearing a costume sure, and he's sure. just a guy, it's I that's what I guarantee they're going to do. But you know what? I kind of liken it a little bit more uh, to the human target. Right. Which was not the human target from the comics, no, but, but it, and was it was still a, good show. a fun show. And not on the CW. It wasn't on the CW, that's true. But I'm at least, uh, for this, I am cautiously optimistic. I'm not going to go into it saying it's going to be terrible because it's already got something going for it in that it's not like 20 somethings with visions of the future. Calling my shot. Brilliant yet troubled pharmaceutical analyst is no older than 25. Well, yeah, <laughs> and he's gonna super be super sexy. He's gonna be a handsome dude. Like, yeah. like who are we kidding? Or he's gonna be like 18-year-old brilliant pharmaceutical analyst who skipped high schools. He was too smart. But the whole visions of the future thing. Could be Doogie Hauser trying to solve the problems of the future is what it's gonna be. <laughs> like that is that is part of our man lore. And let's be real, the whole takes a pill that gives him super strength right. is kind of ridiculous. Actually, I, do, I would argue that's not that ridiculous. They come up with like some pharmaceutical drug that gives him superpowers. My my view of it at the moment, unless they announce that it's going to tie into the Flash and Arrow and all that I don't stuff, think it and is. I don't think it will. I think this is totally remote. I think, like with the human target at Fox, they're taking a name and, and a right. certain element of the Iron Man yes. concept and then making a different kind of show. Yeah. And I'm kind of okay with He's that. He's not going to wear a brown and yellow costume, certainly. So I'm I'm interested in it. I'm, I want to see how it develops. And I will be right there with you if it's terrible. I don't trust the CW. But 
like you talk like the CW, like all the shows on the CW are made by the same two dudes. They're not. No, but they're all bad. They're all bad except, except for, for the supernatural. One. And so this, they're one for twenty. And what? this could <laughs> be the number two. Right? If you win one football game in your season, in the NFL, you're a terrible team, and everyone makes fun of you. Okay, this is not me being an apologist. I'm just saying I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt until we actually start seeing can, evidence that it will be bad. Moving right along. <laughs> Open up your black heart a I little have no bit. No faith in this. <laughs> Finally, the New York Times broke the news of a new Marvel title on Tuesday, one which should be welcome news to readers looking for a little more diversity in their superhero comics. Ms. Marvel will launch early next year by Air writer G. Willow Wilson and popular Runaways artist Adrian Alfona. The series will star Kamala Khan, the teenage daughter of Pakistani Muslim immigrants that has developed shape-changing powers and is inspired to become a hero by Carol Danvers. That's Captain Marvel for you folks. It's worth mentioning that both Wilson and series editor Sana Anamat are Muslim women, so the series should come with more sensitivity than your average old white man writes young person of color title. <laughs> this is probably what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> Wilson described the new series to the New York Times saying, quote, Captain Marvel represents an ideal that Kamala pines for. She's strong, beautiful, and doesn't have any of the baggage of being Pakistani and, quote, different. Ms. Marvel is about the universal experience of all American teenagers feeling kind of isolated and finding what they are, but through the lens of being a Muslim American with superpowers. Matt, what do you think? And has anyone broken the news to Sean Hannity? Oh, he's going to flip. Now they're making them superheroes? I mean, what more can the liberal media want? <laughs> I think this is fantastic. And the reason I think this is fantastic is they're not billing it as, like, she was plucked right out of the sands of Pakistan and became sure. a superhero. Like, she's a kid that just happens to have dark skin. That's fantastic. Right. And stuff like that does way more to advance a character as someone you can relate to, as being normal, as being just like you and me. Like, if, if you look at Parks and Recreation... Aziz Ansari's character is obviously a Middle Eastern man. I'm yeah. not exactly sure where he's from, but there's nothing about his character. No, he's that he's an American. You would mark as a foreigner, right. you know, and that's why I think everybody thinks he's fantastic because he's just like you and me, Tommy Fresh. We can, yeah, we can relate to him. He's a dork, you know, right, and like yes. that's what's great about it. And I think it's really cool that Marvel is so good at looking at this and saying, okay, we want to do this right. We don't want to just be like, she's a lesbian. He's Irish. You know, like, yeah. whatever. And, you know, like, I am not slamming. You know? I'm not slamming DC for the existence of Batwing. No. Like, I think Batwing is fine. But they did a terrible job. No, it's just not a great book and nobody cares. Yeah. I think that this is also much more interesting than it's he's African. Right. And it's a story about it takes place in Africa. Right. This, these are American comics. Well, I think that it's important to represent world culture. And it's not to say that a, an African you know, character no, in Africa couldn't be No, there's nothing wrong well. with the character. Yeah. But I, like you said, I think this does more to promote diversity in co comics by showing this is the world we live in. Yes. One out of ten people is not right. going to be just like you. Yes. you. We all know people with dark skin, and we don't walk yes. around going, where are you from? Right. Tell right. me of your strange foreign origin. <laughs> Do you, you know, have like, weird powers? No, it's just a girl, and she's got powers, and she's growing up, but she happens to have dark skin. Right. That's and, an excellent way to put diversity in your books. And I also love 
that two of the people involved in the book have real experience with this exact thing. Right. Which is a huge deal, though I will say I am not a fan, typically, of G. Willow Wilson. I didn't love Air, but I didn't think it was bad. She's written some other things that I, I was can't just think not of into. I can't think of anything else she's written. But uh, she wrote a miniseries for Vertigo called Cairo. She's done a bunch of stuff. Okay. But... Adrian Alfona is great. Yes. Uh, which leads me to my next thought about it. This isn't going to be like teenage girl, but she's still hot in that way that you probably shouldn't be thinking. Like a lot of comics are. Right. Where it's like all of these overdeveloped are beautiful. Fourteen-year-old. Right. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like if you look at the sketches, whoops, my skirt blew up. You know, it's you know, not God. that she. It's not that she's not pretty or beautiful. No, it's but that she looks like a girl. She looks like a teenage girl. Yeah, she dresses in weird clothes. She wears those stupid goddamn furry hats. Yeah, like teenagers do nowadays. She's kind of a, she's kind of a dork. Yeah, she's kind of and, clumsy. Uh, like I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. It's realistic. And so not only is it going to be a faithful. You know, interpretation of Muslim American culture, it'll be a faithful interpretation of teenage culture, right. which almost never happens. Right. Rather than old white guy writing story about what it might be like to live in Africa. Like, I hate to break it to you. Like, I love <laughs> I love those characters, but not all teenagers look like Superboy and Wonder Girl. Right. Some of them are kind of dorky, dumpy weirdos. Yes, it's true. Uh, it should be noted that, and I didn't know it until after this news broke, but Kamala made her first appearance this week in Captain Marvel 17. It's true. Already sold out, suckers. Sorry about that. Woo! Marvel should have announced it earlier. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> and that's the big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on the Comic News and Rumors section under the Comic Discussion Board at the THN Forums or our Facebook page where... I've pitched my Batman Incorporated, not in fact a struggling black police officer, but the good old shirtless, helmeted Bawana Beast. White. As the Bat Beast. Well, yeah, he was white. I mean, <laughs> sure. I, Promoting diversity. I can relate to the Bawana Beast as a shirtless, helmeted white guy. I believe it was Mark Twain who said, write what you know. Every Friday, the shirtless, helmeted Joe Patrick puts up the question of the week on our THN web forum, which you can find by clicking the link at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe, what did we ask the listeners this week? This week's question, who is your favorite superhero successor? That's good. Now, we've talked a lot about legacy characters in the past. So for this, we are talking a character unrelated to the original hero. Someone that took up a familiar mantle and made it their own. No kid sidekicks, no family members. Just like someone who took the name. Like Kamala and, Khan. And became the next hero. Exactly. I like it. And there are more than you think, so think hard. There's a bunch. You can call us and leave us a message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype panel is 2 at Nerd. Or call us at the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Remember to keep it under three minutes or you'll get cut off. And we'll sound like jerks. Yeah, it's not us, we promise. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. We're back. We the are answer back. of the week is back next week. So get to the phones. I should also mention I'm going to take everybody's suggestions for superhero songs and I'm going to create a Spotify playlist so we can listen to them all. It's going to be awesome. Nice. 
Pop, pop. It's review time in THN where Joe and I sacrifice a bat over the bodies of two of this week's new comics to see if the Lord of the Underworld will accept them as his disciples. Joe, did your initiate show any promise this week? Pop, pop, like magnitude? I don't know. It just happened. (laughs) (laughs) This week, I'm reviewing Amazing X-Men number one. Pop, pop. (laughs) From Marvel Comics, written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGinnis. Here's your solicit. Oh, man. There's a lot of caps in here. There is. Uh, just, all right. No, nope, you got to do it. <laughs> An amazing new era for the X-Men starts here. Ever since Nightcrawler's death in X-Men Messiah Complex, <laughs> the X-Men have been without their heart and soul. After learning that their friend may not be gone after all, it's up to Wolverine, Star, Beast, Iceman, North Star, and Firestar. <laughs> To find and bring back the fan favorite Fuzzy Blue Elf. I need a drink. You don't need to read the rest. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Ed McGinnis, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You guys, I have really, really missed Nightcrawler. I have two. These past couple of years. I have two. The brief visit from the Age of Apocalypse version didn't really scratch that itch. I kind of liked him. I mean, he's cool and all, but he's not the real Nightcrawler. I mean, he turned out to be a bastard. Yeah. So I got really excited when Marvel announced this new title, bringing the fan favorite character back to the land of the living. As Kurt Wagner, or Kurt Wagner, mopes around heaven, feeling like his afterlife is missing that certain, I don't know what, je, n- je ne sais quoi, a new teacher joins the staff of the Jean Grey school, and the X-Men realize that the Bamps that have been infesting their campus are up to something way more serious than they realized. Oh, and Nightcrawler's devil dad Azazel is back too. Hooray! When it was announced... Amazing X-Men was billed as the non-stop high-adventure roller coaster ride event book, and it seems like it's off to a pretty great start. Jason Aaron delivers a really fun script here in the vein of his work on Wolverine and the X-Men. It's heavy on the lighthearted humor, which I think a book like this needs. There are already too many deadly serious X-Men stories, so I'm glad to see a return to the wacky adventure stories. Like, this is the book where I want to see the X-Men playing softball. Art-wise... I'm a big Ed McGinnis fan. I've been following him since he launched Joe Kelly's Deadpool series in 1996. McGinnis has a very classic take on Nightcrawler that I love. His original costume is awesome, and I'm happy to see it back. McGinnis is a seasoned pro at this point, so this issue is very solid artistically. The book opens with a recap page that sums up everything you really need to know to enjoy this issue and boils down the essential traits of Nightcrawler to just a few panels. Do we need yet another X-Men book? Absolutely not. But with the demise of the completely forgettable Astonishing X-Men, I think this is a worthy replacement. I had a ton of fun reading this, and I'm fully on board for this series. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay. You're going to think I'm an asshole. Yeah, I already do. Everybody already does. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to say. Say when it. When you said, this is the book where I want to see the X-Men playing softball. Yeah. I would say this is the other book where I want to see the X-Men playing softball. You're going to tell me this did not feel like Wolverine and the X-Men to you? This totally feels like a story they could do in the pages of Wolverine and, and the X-Men. But Wolverine and the X-Men is m- more about the students than it is that. about the X-Men. I get that, but the tone was exactly the same. The tone is similar, exactly but... Exactly the same. The same s- writer. Right. And I don't... I'm not saying it was a bad issue. Listen, I see what you're saying, but I disagree because Wolverine and... The focus is different. I understand. This is about not the kids. This is about the actual X-Men going on adventures. And I got it. I'm just saying it felt so similar in tone to me that I don't 
understand why we couldn't just do this in the pages of Wolverine and the X-Men. Do we need another X book? I know you hate it when I do that. I just said that and, it's the very same thing. And we don't. We no, absolutely don't. Is it well done? Yes. But when I put it, first of all, I hate Azazel. And I don't like Azazel. The, what I like even less is Azazel piloting a spirit <laughs> no, wait, pirate ship. I thought that was rad. In heaven to steal souls. I like, think that's awesome. It's silly and goofy, and I that's what I want. Kind of dumb. And I hate yes, the character, and I just think there's probably a better way that you could bring Nightcrawler back than this. I don't like the Bamfs. I think it's a dumb idea. I don't like that the Bamfs built a portal to heaven for some reason. Like... They're smarter than we thought. No, that, like that's kind of silly and stupid. And it, it just, it, some of it seemed hackneyed to me. I want to love this. I love Ed McGinnis. I love Nightcrawler. I love Jason Aaron. I love all these characters too. And I don't, Firestar, fine. You want to include her? She probably should have been included a long time ago. But again, it's like she's coming on as a professor in the school. It just all felt like more Wolverine and the X-Men to me, but with kind of a hackneyed plot. I really like Wolverine and the X-Men. It's a great book. It's a ton of fun to read. This just seemed a little too silly to me, and I don't care about Azazel, and I don't know that I can give this a buy it. I think I can give it a, like a strong skim it because it was well executed, but story kind of weak tone exactly the same i don't know why you think the story is weak like I, the x-men are going to I the just afterlife gave to you rescue my reasons. their friend that's I, a epic story i just gave you my reasons i don't like the pirates stuff bullshit in heaven that's dumb i don't like azazel dumb i don't like that the bamps created this doorway right, now dumb. this is my hope for this particular storyline okay that before the fifth issue which is the conclusion jason aaron undoes that azazel bullshit. i hope so because he immediately, he's just like, ha ha, your demon dad is here. Like, oh, you must have inherited that from your shape-changing mother. You know, like, oh, come on. <laughs> Look, I thought that the... We'll be back to that, because by that account, Nightcrawler, not a mutant. Just like Longshot, not a mutant. No, but there have been non-mutant members of oh, the Oh, and Wolverine, before. not a mutant. Ancient Dogman, forgot. No, that's <laughs> out of continuity. No, Jeff Loeb undid that. He I retconned his own story. It's true. But Nightcrawler, come on. He's not from a race of demons. That's stupid. All right, all right, all right. Listen. It's, we either have to hope it gets undone I, or accept that it's part of continuity. Look, I'm giving it a skim it. You're not going to convince me. That's fine. You are an asshole. I'm not giving it a leave it given his skimming. I think that the book is different enough. I'm not saying we needed another X-Men. I'm just saying I feel this niche is already filled. I think it's a different niche. So I disagree. Up your niche. <laughs> Screw you and your dumb niche. <laughs> what did you tell me what you reviewed this week so I can disagree with you about it? This week I read The Legends of Red Sonia number 1 from Dynamite. This is written by Gail Simone, Nancy Collins, and long lost and forgotten Devin Grayson. Remember her? I, yeah. We haven't seen her forever. I, know. I don't know where she's been. With art by Jack Jadson, Noah Salonga, and Carla Speed McNeil. <laughs> Great name. Those are real names. Here's your solicit. Pay close attention to this solicit, too, because I'm going to bring something up about it. Dynamite Entertainment presents a bold new experiment in graphic storytelling as the biggest female stars in the worlds of prose, television, gaming, and comics gather together to tell thrilling stories from the life of Red Sonja, yada, yada, yada. We can all agree that the comic industry is male-dominated, but there are several very talented women working on comics as well. 
So when Dynamite calls this a, quote, bold new experiment because it's got three women working on the title, I have to wonder if that's not a little demeaning. What exactly is bold and new about having a few women working on a title? I mean, like, if you want to say, hey, it's the all-girl book or whatever, fine. But if you're going to build this as a bold new experiment, why not get an all-female creative team? It's very possible. I can name several female creators they could have used on this. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Regardless, Gail Simone has been doing a great job on her Red Sonia title. It really is a lot of fun, and I was looking forward to this one. This comic is written in anthology form with three stories told by three different members of a party that is hunting Sonia. Simone handles the main story where we meet the hunting party. The second story, called The Eyes of the Howling God, written by Nancy A. Collins, an American horror writer who's most famous for her vampire novels, starring her character, I'm not making this up, Sonia Blue. <laughs> Sees Sonia stealing jewels from a werewolf cult. The story was fine. But the art by Noah Salonga was just plain old not good and made this mediocre story downright boring, totally over-narrated and boring. The final story, La Sonia Rosa, written by Grayson with the only female artist on the book, Carla Speed McNeil sees Sonia on a ship dealing with a little girl who is supposed to be sacrificed to a sea monster, has even worse art, and again, totally overly narrated and boring story. When I say that the art was even worse than Salonga's, I don't mean that McNeil is not a talented artist. She obviously is. What she cannot draw is action. <laughs> she can't draw action. It just looks flat and boring, and sometimes it's kind of hard to tell what's actually happening. You know, I'm going to disagree with you there. Really? I'm looking at it now, and I think the art by, uh, by McNeil is pretty good i thought it was kind of weak and, and i don't know, think that it's flat or boring i don't like talking smack about artists either because i have zero art talent but this art didn't do anything for me it really didn't no i enjoy i enjoy the art in the second story a lot more than i enjoy the art in the first story the idea of this series sounds great on paper and like i said if dynamite needs the names of some talented female artists inkers writers whatever i can certainly name more than a few i have to wonder why they bill this as this female driven comic but they didn't go out of their way to really find top-notch female art and writing talent they're out there and you can't tell me that if gail simone calls people like becky clunan or kelly sue DeConnick or Ming Doyle, she can't get them on the phone to like write, you know, to get them on board to write or draw some of this. I find it really hard to believe. This was boring. This was poorly drawn. And I'm saying Dynamite totally dropped the ball here, giving it a leave it. Well, I didn't care. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> um, I, I am not a fan of Devin Grayson. This is the worst thing I can say about this book. I don't think the art is necessarily bad. I think it is weird that. There are two dudes drawing this book, and right. it's not all ladies. Right. I just don't care. I and don't to be, care. To be fair, Carla Speed McNeil, the best of the artists on this book. Sure. I just don't particularly care for her art. I'm giving it a leave it as well, but not because I hated it. It's because it literally left zero impression on me. Yeah. You didn't even remember that you read the last right. story. I, I, <laughs> I had no memory of reading the, uh, the girl getting sacrificed story. In my mind, it, it cut off. I had the weird werewolf cult thing. And if a book does not leave an impression, 
then it was absolutely unnecessary. Right. I'm going to make a bold statement. Girls can't make comics. No. <laughs> I'm going to make a bold statement, and it might be a little offensive, and I'm sorry, but... It's not that girls can't make comics. Of course they can. Of course they can. I named a bunch that make great comics. I personally don't think that Red Sonia is a very interesting character. No, that's I, fine. I think that I think that she, she's fine. She's a female Conan, whatever. Sure. I don't think that... I, I find it kind of puzzling to see all of these female creators rallying around a resurgence of Red Sonia when she is a character in a chainmail bikini whose whole deal was... If I can find a man that can beat me in combat, I'll let him have sex with me. <laughs> I don't know if that's her whole deal. <laughs> that is, uh, that was originally like a huge part of her deal. Okay. So I think it's a little strange that we've got this kind of groundswell of female creators interested in working on Red Sonia all of a sudden. And I will say, this is my bold statement, that the only reason people care about Red Sonia is because of Gail Simone. Yeah. And Gail Simone's Red Sonia is not that good. See, I think it's kind of fun. It's not that I don't think it's fantastic must-read stuff, but I think she's doing a great job with it. And I would argue that any character, any character, Vampirilla, could be written well by the right person. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Any character could be great. If you can't hold Willie Toot's attention with a Red Sonia story, something's wrong with yeah, you. And doing... he is not enjoying this series. Well. So, those are that's my baggage. All right. <laughs> uh, this book... When I finished reading it, it was like I didn't read it at all. Yeah. Leave it. Yeah, totally forgettable. It's neither good nor bad. It just exists. So that is a buy it and a skim it for Amazing X-Men number one and a double leave it for Legends of Red Sonia. Of course, we want to know what you barbaric feminists and fuzzy blue elves thought of these comics. So be sure to hit us with your anti-male, dead mutant-centric comments over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoeditnerd.com. If you haven't signed up yet, do it. It's a ton of fun, and it makes us happy every time. After finishing up my saber-toothed tiger full back tattoo, I decided it was time to challenge Mephisto to a full-on guitar shred-off, where the winner takes Matt's soul. My what? So prepare yourselves for hammer-ons and finger-tapping like lightning while I send this evil mother hell with his tail between his legs and save my co-host's soul all while we're viewing 10 of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! I don't really believe that I have a soul. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Shahrazad, number one, from Big Dog, Inc. According to the solicit, Shahrazad is a busty immortal character from 1001 Arabian Nights. Fine. Or Shahrazad. Yeah, or, uh, I'm not really sure. Yeah, like, Here, the story takes place in both the future, where she's a pirate aboard an aircraft carrier that has both modern planes and giant bats that pirates ride like hang gliders, and the past, where she's protecting her sister from something. It's very hard to follow, but not bad art if you're into the J. Scott Campbell style of cheesecake. I'm just not sure what they're going for, and this ended very strangely. Like, I looked at the last page for quite a while going, this is the end? <laughs> so I'm saying, leave it. Action Comics number 25 from DC. This was the first issue by the new regular creative team of Greg Pak and Aaron Cooter. Even though the solicit still listed Scott Lobdell as the writer. It certainly did. It's a zero-year tie-in, so we're back to the t-shirt and jeans as young Superman pushes his limits trying to stop the raging Superstorm about to hit Gotham City. 
There's also a fun modern-day backup drawn by Scott McDaniel that sets up the next story. I like this a lot. We'll see how I feel once we get back to the nano suit, but for now, this is a buy-in. Right on. Regular show skips number one from Kaboom. If you like regular show, then you'll like this, but it doesn't strike me as a story that couldn't have been told outside the regular, regular show comic. <laughs> this follows skips the Yeti on the show on a side adventure during the gang's vacation to a national park, thermonuclear geysers. It's cute. It's well-drawn. It's not must-read stuff. I'm giving it a skim it. Yeah. Green Arrow number 25 from DC. This is another zero-year tie-in, this time by the team that saved Green Arrow, Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. This issue flashes back to a time when Ollie had just returned from the island and features his long-lost beard. His beard! This peek into the past shows us Ollie's first encounter with Batman, and it's a lot of fun. I'm way behind on this book, but it seems like there are a lot of attempts to bring elements of the show into the book, but it's not happening in an annoying way. Sorrentino's art is amazing. Buy it! I would argue it's a little annoying. Well, uh, Transformers yeah. Dark Cybertron number one from IDW. IDW's two Transformer titles have been very solid, and here the two collide in a story about Shockwave trying to bring Cybertron back to life. Unfortunately, if you're like me and you didn't read past issue four because you have so much other crap you have to read and review for your podcast, yep. you won't have the slightest idea what's going on That's here. why I put it down. It was nuts, man. I like totally nuts. They're in a ship. Optimus Prime is a new name. There's an alien on board with them. They're giant Transformers. Like I had no clue what's going on. I will say this is still very high quality Transformer storytelling. And having Phil Jimenez on layouts certainly doesn't hurt the comic's credibility. I just didn't know what was going on. But I'm giving it a very strong skimmit. If you're into Transformers, I'll bet you love this. Baltimore, the Infernal Train, number three from Dark Horse. Like I did with BPRD a couple of weeks ago, I spent the last several nights catching up on two years of Baltimore stories, and I'm so glad I did. They're so good! This series is fantastic! The peg-legged Lord Baltimore fights the horrible evils that have popped up in the wake of World War I. The Infernal Train is not only the next step in Baltimore's hunt for the vampire Lord Hagus, but it's the brutal final question mark confrontation with the Inquisitor. Beautiful art by Ben Stenbeck. He's good. Huge buy it. Yeah, way to go, Dark Horse. Longshot saves the Marvel Universe number one from Marvel. Longshot is back and with a Brooklyn hipster-approved haircut, but something is wrong with his luck powers, and he's being hunted by a god. Maybe. That's killing lucky people, I think. This was fine. I didn't recognize writer Christopher Hastings or artist Jacopo Camagnes. Uh, Christopher Hastings, I believe, is the creator of Dr. McNinja. Okay. Yeah. All right. They did a fine job here, but in the end, it was just fine and i don't really know where this is going and this is coming from a guy that loves long shot i'll take him anywhere i can get him loves him got hollow bones technically not a mutant and i love him but this is a skimmit alex plus ada number one from image one half of the luna brothers is back with writer sarah vaughn to bring us this new series mashing up irobot and 500 days of summer in the future cool Luna Brothers stuff always makes me kind of uncomfortable for some reason. Yeah, I wonder if I'm reading like, porn. Like, is this kind of weirdly sexist? Right. Like, should I be reading this? Should right. I like this? But the premise behind this one is kind of fun. Lovelorn man in a future world receives an android companion that I'm sure will teach him how to love again. Oh. Like I said, uncomfortable. Good art, though. Skim it. 
Drumheller, number one from Image. I had to read this one twice because it was so damn weird. I love Riley Rossmo's art, and for this issue, he reportedly spent a week in Drumheller, Alberta, collecting reference sketches and interviewing locals. And it shows in his art. He, it's got a really good small town look and setting. And the white trash paranormal detective that stars in it is fun, but there's not really enough structure of the story to get me excited. I need to know why he carries a golf club. I need to know why his friend is a spirit cat. I, I just didn't really know what the hell was going on here, but the art is gorgeous and really saves the weird story. I think he's building something, and maybe by the end of this mini, and it is a mini series, I believe, maybe by the end of this mini series, we will look back and go, okay. That's pretty cool. This one was just a little too wackadoo for me for a first Looks edition. Looks bizarre. Giving it a skip it. Protectors Incorporated, number one from Image. This is the latest from the J. Michael Straczynski's Joe's Comics Revival, and it's the first one that I thought was just kind of meh. This is another spin on the superpowers appear in the real world trope. There are some fun ideas, like the characters having ridiculously dated outfits because they haven't aged since the 70s. But the mediocre art from Sam and Max creator Gordon Purcell brings things down a few notches. It's weird. I've never seen Gordon Purcell draw anything but cartoon animals. Yeah, I guess I haven't either. Maybe he's not. Maybe there's a reason for that. <laughs> oh, or, and the fish police. <laughs> yeah. Which I love. <laughs> I honestly had a hard time figuring out whether or not the narrator and one of the heroes he describes are the same person. And I'm still not sure after staring at it for what feels like hours. Huh. Skim it. Harmonious Sounds of Nature. That is your ludicrous speed round, and Harmonious Sounds of Nature is the sound of the harmonious sounds of nature that Skip hears while entering the forest, as seen in the pages of this week's regular show, Skip's number one. Sounds harmonious and natural. Yeah. For months now, Joe has been dreaming about the dark forces of Neron hiding in the shadows, gathering, and planning to move against us. So, today, in the Sanctum Sanctorum, We've invited two of this reality's darkest badasses, Glenn Danzig and the Son of Satan, to join us for a drone metal seance that will reveal the secret plans of the forces of the Neitherworld and some secrets of next week's comics. Joe, <laughs> what are you excited for next week? I'm excited for Manifest Destiny number one from Image Comics. Written by Chris Dingus. <laughs> it's totally Dingus, right? <laughs> and with art by Matthew Roberts. Here's your solicit. In 1804, Captain Meriwether Lewis and 2nd Lieutenant William Clark set out on an expedition to explore the uncharted American frontier. This is the story of what they discovered lurking in the wilds. Skybound's newest original series unveils the monsters of the western frontier in the adventure of a lifetime. This sounds like a blast. Lewis and Clark versus monsters in the American past. I love it. It sounds like awesome. It sounds totally awesome. And the art looks really good. Yes. I bet Dingus got teased a lot in grade school. <laughs> Matt, what are you excited for next week? My pick for next week is Unity, number one from Valiant. This is written by Matt Kent with art by Dougie Braithwaite, who I will forever refer to as Dougie because that's how he wanted his name printed back in the day. The solicit is too long to read, but in a nutshell, Toyo Harada from Harbinger has brought together a team of supreme valiant badasses to go and kill Exo Man of War. This is going to be huge. This is going to be fun. It's going to have kick-ass art. 
I'm super excited for this. And so far, the Matt Kent stuff that he's done at Valiant has been great. Now I have to catch up on all my Valiant books. Yeah, man, because I'll tell you what. It all ties in. Everything. Mm. It all ties in. If you like continuity, you love Valiant. The THN trade of the week is Sabretooth Swordsman hardcover from Dark Horse Comics by Damon Gentry and Aaron Conley. Here's your solicit. When his village is enslaved and his wife kidnapped by the malevolent Mastodon mathematician, <laughs> a simple farmer must find his inner warrior. Granted the form of the saber-toothed swordsman by the cloud god of Sasquatch Mountain, Jesus, our hero embarks <laughs> on a treacherous journey to the Mastodon's fortress, along the way getting beaten to a pulp by ogres, plague mutants, the king's army, and goats. This sounds like the best thing ever. I didn't even know that it was the metal show when I picked this. Wow. <laughs> How appropriate. Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to, so place your fingers gently on the planchette and let us know what you're excited. That's from a Ouija board. Yeah, it's a little thing you steer around Thank the Ouija you. board that the <laughs> devil talks to you through. And let us know what you're excited to read next week at the THN forum. By the way, if spirits could actually speak to you through a to a Ouija board, Hasbro wouldn't be making that. <laughs> okay? Teenagers and bad horror movie writers. Before we move on, the Two-Headed Nerd is looking for brave advertisers and sponsors who aren't afraid to have their good image ruined by our satanic humor. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, the answer of the week, or just advertising on our site, please, dear God, shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line, Sponsorship. It is time again to dive into the digital THN mailbag and pull out a question from one lucky listener with our teeth when we play Ask a Nerd. Today, we're going to go rapid fire and answer several short questions from perhaps our most inquisitive listener, Mr. Brian DuPont, who is too lazy to Google this stuff, apparently. <laughs> he just wants to interact. Joe Patrick. Brian DuPont, creator of Pecos Bill, which you can find. On IndiePlanet.com. That's right. Issue 2 featured a variant cover by our very own Joe Patrick. Yeah. He famous. I am famous. Joe Patrick, are you ready to play Rapid Fire Ask a Nerd? I don't know how rapid fire it's going to be, but yes. I mean, we'll do our best. So, Brian's questions centered around famous comic book first. I love it. Question number one, what is the first appearance of the term Avengers Assemble and who said it? Knee-jerk reaction here, Captain America. It's not Captain America. I know. It's what I would have thought as well, but it's mind. not. Blew my mind. It happened in the pages of Avengers number 10, and it was said by Thor. That's wacky. I had no idea. I mean, now, not every issue of Avengers has them screaming Avengers Assemble, but I would say every other one does. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I'm a little shocked that it took 11 issues. It, it, does, it does seem odd that it took so long to right? get to it. And Thor said it first. Yeah. Kind of weird. Question number two. When was the first time the Man of Tomorrow and the Caped Crusader met? He says, I'd even accept their alter egos instead. This is a complicated question because they've been rebooted so many times and things have been retconned so many times. But speaking that, just historically. Yeah. We're not going to go like the unknown tales of you know, sure, the world's sure, sure. finest or whatever. Technically speaking, the first meeting of Superman and Batman did not occur until 1952. Which is 14 years after Superman first appeared. That's shocking. And 13 years after Batman. That's totally shocking. It's true. It happened in the pages of Superman number 76. Wow. I don't know if it's my favorite comic of all time, but uh, it's my childhood like fondest memory. I had a copy of World's Finest 
that retold this story. Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent were on a cruise liner together. And then there was trouble. And they both ducked into the same dark cabin to change into their outfits. And they accidentally touched dicks. <laughs> and when the moonlight <laughs> shone through the porthole, they were, their identities were revealed to one another. And they became best buddies. Oh. Now, it is worth mentioning and super odd as well that while that's the first time they teamed up, it's not the first time they were in the same book. The first time they were in the same book was in World's Best Comics number one, which with issue two became World's Finest. But that like featured a Superman story and a Batman yes. story. Yes. In World's Finest, they did not have Superman, Batman team up stories until number 71. Two years after it happened in Superman. So like just, it's just like, well, we never thought about it. you know? Right. <laughs> it's like the idea of a team-up was just unthinkable to them. Well, that was also probably the first superhero team-up. Well, I think that... Right? No, I mean, JSA was around back then. So. Oh, no, that's true. That's true. Well, but, but no, no. I would argue that's a team book different than two solo characters teaming up. Yeah, I, that's fair. Right? I, I don't know if it's the first comic book team-up, but it's certainly odd to think that Superman and Batman took almost 12 years... To meet. If that's in not the, comics. the first superhero team up, somebody tell us. I yeah. want to know. I want to know. We tweeted at Mark Wade. We'll see what he says. Yeah, I'm going to tweet at him again. Now, later on, they've retconned it so that they were actually, they met as children in Smallville as uh, Bruce and Alfred were passing through Smallville and blah, blah, blah. But historically, there you have it. Okay. Next question. Who was Hellboy's first villain? Rasputin. I think it's fair to say Rasputin. Gotta be Rasputin. He's the guy that summoned him to Earth. He was, he was the main villain in the very first Hellboy story, Seed of Destruction. And even if you want to say, like, well, you young Hellboy did all this stuff, yeah. But young Hellboy wasn't around until Rasputin brought him to Earth. It's true. So there you go. I, there you go. I'm, I think that's fair. Cut and dry. Boom. This one's a little... Uh, this one seems like the answer would be different, but I think there's only one answer. When was the first time Wolverine killed Jean Grey? It, it, it's only happened, as far as I know... The one time, and not the time you think. Not when Hugh Jackman like powered through like whatever <laughs> Dark Phoenix was doing There's and stabbed that. her in the tummy instead of just picking up a syringe and curing her. You right. know, <laughs> or the one that when Phoenix died originally in the uh, early early eighties during the Dark Phoenix saga, the Phoenix killed herself, and it wasn't Jean Grey, and it wasn't Jean Grey. Blah blah blah. The first instance I could think of and that I could find with research of Wolverine killing Jean Grey happened in Grant Morrison's New X-Men, where Jean and Wolverine are on asteroid M hurtling towards the sun, and Wolverine kills her to spare her the agony of slowly burning up. And the second he kills her, she manifests the phoenix and rescues them both. Whoops. Whoops. Uh, So I think that's it. I don't think there are any other instances outside of the movie where Wolverine is the one that kills the Phoenix. Okay. Or Jean Grey. For some reason, I, I could have sworn there was more than that. It seems like it should be... It, seem, it seems like something that should have happened before, but I don't think it has. Huh. If someone else can come up with a different answer, yeah, let I'd us know. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear we it. We want to be proven wrong. Yes. Next up, what was Green Lantern's first construct, not just using a beam to move something, but an object that he imagined? We're going with... A net. Yes. Although, we don't know if that's right. This is what we tweeted to Mark Wade, who's, right. who's obviously listens to the show every week. So, you know, get back to us, Mark. Right, and he's got nothing better to do. And he's the lord of Silver Age trivia, so he knows. 
My guess was a boxing glove. <laughs> we I should like iterate I've... that Mark Wade did not get back to us. This is not his answer. No, 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 no. <laughs> My guess was a boxing glove because I feel like I've heard this question before and the correct answer is boxing glove, but I can't find anything on the net. I found something on the net talking about Green Lantern constructs. The first thing I can see where Green Lantern created something solid with his ring is a net in his first appearance, Showcase 22, where he catches the runaway missile in a giant green net. All right. I could be wrong. Maybe in, earlier in that issue, he creates a boxing glove. He does fight some thugs. Let us know. Go crack open your copy of Super of Showcase 22. Next question. What was the first really bad Batman movie? This is, a, this is controversial. Yeah? I'm going to say the first, the first Batman movie. <laughs> it does not hold up. Tim Burton's Batman does not hold up. All right. When he scratches a bat CD player in it. <laughs> like, <laughs> when wait, what? Yeah. When? Oh, that may have been the second one. Yeah, where he was like sampling. Oh, it was the penguin. Where he was like playing the penguin sample in the bat CD player and he like scratches it. Dumb. Living in the moment, I think we can all agree that Batman and Robin is the first time we went, uh! Yeah, Ugh, how it was dare horrifyingly you, bad. I and remember we were working at a comic shop together, and they put on like they hosted the premiere, and everybody came to see Batman and Robin. And then, like as they got up and walked out, they like yelled at the owner. They're like, "Thanks a lot! Look <laughs> <laughs> at the free movie, you jerks!" <laughs> In hindsight, looking back, none of those Tim Burton uh, Batman movies hold up well. Yeah, they don't. They're they're, not no- good. they're nostalgic, but I would be hard pressed to call them good. Yeah, they're not good. And I think the Adam West Batman stuff is kind of well. That's not even worth it. it yeah, it's a it's above reproach. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> it's barely Batman. What was X Force's first team makeup? Matt Bomb, go. <sighs> Feral, Cable, Warpath, Cannonball, Crap, Boom Boom, Boom Boom. God, Shatterstar. Shatterstar. He had the two swords. It was so stupid. <laughs> He was a warrior born, and he always talked about it. Oh, and Domino. Domino. Did we say Domino? Domino. There you have it. Okay. Who was the first Starman? Very first Starman. Ted Knight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's, it seemed too obvious. Yeah. Ted Knight, first Starman. Okay. Pa- father of Jack Knight. There you go. B- progenitor of the Starman lineage. Yes. Ted Lee. What was, and finally, what was Alex Ross's first published comic series? It was a Terminator one, but I can't remember the name of it. Scorched Earth or something like that? It was called Terminator, The Burning Earth. The Burning Earth. And it was published by Now Comics. Yes. uh, In the, gosh, Now Comics was doing like adaptations of Ghostbusters 2, so it had to be like the very early 90s. I think that's how Now Comics started, like all adaptations. Yeah. So, and you know what? I actually did not have to Google that. I remember reading about that in Wizard Magazine in like 1992 going, yep, that Alex Ross kid is going places. Surprisingly not worth much. Quoting comicspriceguide.com, five bucks in 9.4 condition. No, no, no. Yeah, five bucks. I understand it says that, but that's not an accurate reflection of the market. People are still looking for Alex Ross stuff. Let's look at eBay. Okay, here's Burning Earth, number one through five, listed in fine, very fine, complete set, 1990, now comics, sold for $8.95. Unread, unread copy listed as very fine, near mint. Buy it now, five bucks. The point is this it's not that expensive. And if you are an Alex Ross super fan, you can get it on the cheap. 9.8 signature series signed by Alex Ross did not sell for a hundred (laughs) bucks. There you go. There you go. Best offer is accepted. 
I'm going to assume it was $15. Brian, thanks a lot for your list of questions. It was fun. And Brian says he's trying to usurp the role held by Aaron Myers, king of Askinerd, oh. who I should point out has not sent in an Askinerd question in probably mm, like five years. It's been about five years. We've only been doing this show for less than five three. years. <laughs> if you have a question that isn't easily answered by a quick Google search, you can email it to us or post it on our forums in the new Ask a Nerd section, which I swear to God is probably going to get put up today. It's going up today. Damn it. And that is it for the annual metal episode of THN. If you like to listen to two nerds, give a little twist of cane to the God below. You can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, where you can give the show a star rating, a written review, or a Stitcher thumbs up, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. I'm letting Joe Patrick take over the potential role. Man, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even think about it. It I just happened out loud while I was editing it, uh, while I was editing the show on our bus. <laughs> Thanks to all of our past donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in fuzz boxes and whammy bars... Nobody uses whammy bars anymore. <laughs> you can make your donation in any amount using our demonic little PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed, at TwoHeadedNerd, our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel, THN Comic Cast, where nothing cool is happening, our Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd, all one word, and our direct phone number, 402-819-4894, where you can send... Or call us with your Ask a Nerd questions, ask the comic pushers what you should be reading, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, whatever. Just don't expect us to pay for it. And don't forget to go sign up for the THN Forums, which is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat, where you can discuss this week's show or just rap about comics, homies. Yeah. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers along with your own audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. It's back, baby. It's back. If you already subscribed to this show, you don't need to do nothing. Nope. It will just magically appear in your feed as soon as we post it. The internet powered by magic. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. If you want even more THN in your life, be sure to check out TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can read the further adventures of the Credible Hulk, where his Saturday morning cartoons blog is taking a long, hard look at the cartoon PSAs of the 80s and 90s, like when G.I. Joe told us not to smoke, because tobacco was wacko for teens or whatever. Next week, they're so hard, they'll even kill your moms if they got to. The comic pushers are back. Forcing highly addictive comics on one quivering comic junkie. I promise to do better. All right. I promise yeah, to do better. Weak showing last time. Before we go, a weekly shout out goes to Nick Cardi, the co creator of Wonder Girl, that is Donna Troy Wonder Girl, who no longer exists in the DC universe as far as we know. Nick Cardi passed away last week at the ripe old age of 93. Guy had a good run. Word to you, Nick. Your Silver Age work on Aquaman and Teen Titans is truly seminal DC reading. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just kiss you on the mouth for it. And remember to keep one foot in the gutter and one fist in the gold. Ricky Rackman used to say that on Headbangers Ball. And that guy, even back in the day, I thought he was a douchebag. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing up! What's the gold? What's one fist in the gold? It means nothing. <laughs> He's a jackass. <laughs>